This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Coming up tomorrow, you guys will hear from Amal Sarva. And I asked him, how'd you invest 1.5 million in 40 different companies? Tune in to find out. Okay, Top Tribe, good morning. I hope everyone's November is off to a great start and you are going to love my guest today. His name is Dean Levitt. Now, Dean was born and raised on a 30-acre farm in South Africa, and he's the chief of culture at Mad Mimi, a powerful email marketing service acquired by GoDaddy in 2014. Dean nurtured Mad Mimi's culture, changing customers into fans for organic viral growth. Dean, are you ready to take us to the top? Absolutely. Let's go. Let's do this. So you and I met because we share a, a common friend in Chris Rieger, who loved his time at Mad Mimi, and now he's obviously at, at Heyo, but he speaks so highly of you. What's the, and it's, I, I want to jump right in with your title. So Chief of Culture at Mad Mimi, what does that actually mean? As I look at your Skype picture here of you posing in a yoga mount on the top of a mountain here. <laughs> so Chief of Culture really is a catch-all title that mixes content marketing, traditional marketing. At the, in the early stages of Mad Mimi, I kind of focused on anything front-facing, including the brand voice, the internal culture, the external culture, and we just settled somewhat whimsically on chief of culture. Chief of culture. So you were the founder, you were one of the co-founders, correct? Correct. And what was the founding year? Uh, it was soft launch 2007. 2007. So you obviously have huge success. So Top Tribe, you're, again, I want you to stay tuned for this whole episode because we'll build up to when Dean and his co-founder decided to exit to GoDaddy here recently. But Dean, before we do that, those early years, uh, walk me through what your role was. Were you the technical co-founder or were you the culture and business guy? How did you work with your co-founder? Uh, actually, I joined simply because I was going to write the copy and then I ended up doing the early customer support. And then I started doing some outreach and growth hacking initiatives. And then it just sort of blocked the guy. I'm more the marketing guy. Got it. More the marketing guy. So uh, walk us through when you guys sold, take, well, actually take us forward a few years again. When you guys got your first, uh, your first paying customer, what, what was that like? Were you the one on the phone call? Was it organic? Was it you, know, you closing hard on a phone call? Walk me through that experience. It was actually quite uh, quite funny. Uh, I, I was the guy who was on the phone. I was actually in a Starbucks and he wrote <laughs> to ask for a phone call. So I jumped on the phone. I chatted with him and it turned out he was a spammer. So we had to kick him. Oh. <laughs> uh, we, had, we had to kick him quite soon after. Although it, it was actually a really organic growth. We have no idea how we got our first customers. We didn't have to hard sell anyone. They just sort of found us. And they, they love the simplicity. It really wasn't hard to get our initial customers on. It was really hard to take it over that chasm uh, to, to go from ones and twos into tens and twenties. What do you mean when you say ones and twos to tens and twenties? Saying like one customer a day. Uh, to, to more a day and greater. Back. Yeah. Exactly. 
Got it. Okay, interesting. So um, when you sold, to, I want to, again, we're going to go forward again, then I want to go back to talk about how you, again, crossed that chasm. Uh, when you guys sold to, to, uh, to GoDaddy, um, where were you guys at? Give me some perspective. You know, how big was the business? The, the business was doing well. We had about 250,000 customers. We we're sending about 14 million emails a day. And we'd been actually saying no to acquisition requests by multiple companies for, for many years. And then GoDaddy just reached out because they they saw a synergy between their customer base and Mad Mimi's aesthetics and philosophy, and it just felt right. We we weren't looking for an acquisition. We weren't in need of that, and it just it was one of those moments where where that light bulb goes off, and and it's a, and we say, okay, this is the time with the right people. I love that. I love the right time, right people. And and walk me. Was this before or after GoDaddy had went public? This was before GoDaddy went public by. Okay, but by a year, you said? Yeah, Dean, so, Dean, you're cutting a bit in and out, so I'm, I'm filling in some of the blanks, but you said this was way before GoDaddy went public. Uh, can you hear me now? I yes. think I'm back. Yep. Uh, so, so, yes, it was before GoDaddy, GoDaddy went public by a number of months. So, do, question. I always, I, I, you know, we've had people on that have taken companies public before, and, you know, managing the storyline back to the public market, you know, either when you're going public or after you're public is always a game these kind of companies play. Was GoDaddy looking to make an acquisition in the email marketing space because of public perception and they wanted to use you guys essentially to boost, maybe boost stock price on day one? Or, or was that totally different? <laughs> Gosh, um, I don't think I'm qualified to answer that one. I have no, I have no idea. That one I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to reserve. When GoDaddy reached out, well, did you reach? GoDaddy reached out to you, correct? Correct. What, what did they say? Walk? Was it an email? Was it a phone call? It was an email. They, they reached out to my brother Gary, who was met, who is met, and Gary's your co-founder. And they just said that. Uh, they had interviewed their customers and they felt this was uh, something that they wanted to discuss. And what, come, dig us into the nitty gritty of this. Because again, all the top tribe, you know, they're, they're, some of them are early entrepreneurs. Some of them are stuck in corporate looking to get out. Some are bloggers and influencers that probably use Mad Mimi that are looking to find something to sell. And this like acquisition day is like, you know, celebrated by startup people. So what, like, what, how'd that conversation go? They, they reached out, you jumped on a phone call, then what? So then there was a few months of just very light chatting. It was a discussion. We, we, it really was not a contentious issue. I, I almost feel it was anticlimactic. And I'll give you a, a quick example. On the actual day of acquisition, it, we didn't celebrate. We just did our job. Everyone came to work just like normal. The whole thing was very calm, very peaceful. It was, it was a few months of chatting, uh, of feeling each other out and, and confirming to ourselves that this was the right move. And then there was very light, like I'm talking money and then done. So who, who Walker, I know this is interesting coming from a culture guy. That's why I'm, that's why I'm asking you like hardcore kind of business questions here. Who proposed price first? Um, I believe we did. We kind of laid out what we thought was our, our mix. So what we would feel comfortable between these numbers and these numbers in order to feel like we got a good value for, from this beautiful thing that we've built. And then it was some, some more technical well based on, on this amount of customers, on revenue, et cetera, that kind of informed it. But again, the whole thing was, it was more feelings-based, as weird as that sounds, to say 
because again, we didn't need to sell. They didn't need to buy us. It, it, it really had to feel right more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Now, what was, I mean, it sounds like you kind of use feeling to kind of make sure that's a good fit. And then there's maybe like, well, we're going to value you based off this equation, you know, churn, growth, monthly ARPU, number of customers, et cetera, or monthly MR, et cetera. Um, can you give us some more insight into that? So you said, uh, you said you had a bunch of customers, obviously, when you sold. What, what, what was the ARPU that those customers were at? And, and Top Tribe, those of you that I know I got a bunch of emails, Dean, when I said ARPU the first time and didn't say what it was, people were like, who the heck is ARPU? <laughs> ARPU is not a person. He, it means average revenue per user, and it's usually per month or per year. So, Dean, what was like the average Mad Mimi user's monthly ARPU? So uh, pre-acquisition, because that's actually all I can talk about is pre-acquisition. Yep. Um, our average customer was our mid-level account, which is, which was about $36. Per month? Yes. Okay. And, um, and, and walk me through, I mean, I listen to constant contact earning calls all the time, and they are churning through the small business market like you wouldn't believe. They're adding 60,000 new users, but they're churning 50,000. How did you right. guys think about churn at Mad Mimi? What was that? What was churn on a monthly basis? I remember correctly, it was actually below 5%. Uh, but we never, honestly, we, we were not. Are we happy? Uh, again, it's, it's probably really weird and sounds a little bit unbelievable, but we really focused on, on our own comfort level and we never pushed growth. We never obsessed about growth. We never obsessed about numbers. So we actually spent $0 on customer acquisition as well. We had low churn, we grew at a comfortable pace and, and we just left it at that. So I do, I, I should state as well though, we had a freemium model. So a lot of that 250K users were on our free accounts. Okay, you said 250,000 250, customers. So how many of them were actually paying versus free? Uh, pre-acquisition, I would say roughly... Um, between 14 and 18K. Okay, so, so we'll be conservative and say 14,000 paying customers. And the freemium model, how'd that work? Was it a trial? For, if people want to replicate it, was it a trial? Was it a, you know, 30 days? How was it? No, full freemium. You would, we limited by contacts. Actually, you mad Mimi in that uh, you would have up to 2,500 contacts free. And we've since changed that actually. But you'd have at the time up to 2,500 contacts free with some in-app limitations with the add-ons and tools you could use, but you would still have unlimited sending. So for example, a yoga studio with 200 contacts could happily use us for free forever. Mm. Well, okay, that's powerful. And then as people used you more and grew their list, they then moved to a paid plan. Exactly. And there's also a, a real inbuilt virality to, to having these free accounts use uh use the app for free but there's always a brand at the bottom same as you see on on many email marketing platforms we actually did a calculation with chris Riga way back um where the free accounts due to the referrals that we get from them actually turn out to be profitable in and of themselves so that that little powered by mad mimi on the free emails that went out was one of your number one growth drivers Exactly, for wow. sure. Wow, very cool. Okay, now, now, so again, at $36 a month, and it, it sounds like you had about you know, 5% uh, uh, monthly churn. So uh, the average customer, I guess, was staying with you guys for about 20 months at 36 bucks, right, on average? Uh, sure. 
Yeah, I know you're. I, this is this is great. This is why when Chris said we should get Dean on, I said that'd be great because I know he's a culture guy, and I'm going to ask him these numbers questions, and he's going to go, <laughs> Nathan, I don't even think about these numbers. Right. That's, <laughs> but yeah, let's go. With, let's go with those numbers in the meanwhile. Yeah, I mean, with, but, with but a caveat. With a tell, caveat. Tell me if I'm if I'm totally off base, though. I mean, totally off base. But but just for again, top tribe listening. I mean, you you know, it's really important that you really kind of hone in on these, and you know, you know, especially you know, Dean's unique in that they didn't spend a lot of money on paid acquisition. But if you are spending on paid acquisition, you got to know your lifetime value. And so for Dean, at a $36 per month ARPU, someone stayed 20 months. On average, let's say they're making 720 bucks per customer. Um, you know, they're super healthy. You can maybe spend up to 100, 200 bucks to acquire that customer, even though Dean, you guys didn't have to do that because of all the free referrals. Right, for sure. Uh, we, we had a, a real beautiful engine of, of organic viral growth, meaning that people would, would and us. We also were very happy with a small team. We didn't take venture capital, so we had no, no need to really push a, 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 an astronomical growth uh, within a short amount of time. So it was easy to, so to grow slowly. And, and just, Dean, out of curiosity, so did you own, I mean, were you the only shareholder on the cap table? Did you own, did you own 100% of the business? Uh, my brother, myself, and one angel investor. Okay, got it. Own the majority. How much did the angel? Do you mind me asking how much did the angel investor own? Uh, roughly twenty percent, if I remember correctly. Actually, okay. I'm wrong. There was a there was a couple early developers we gave equity to as well. So they but they owned a, a a very small share. More or less than one percent of the company for each of them. Uh, no, about two percent. Two percent each. Okay, interesting. So so and then your your you and your brother Gary split the rest. Uh, yes. Got it. Okay, so cool. So about 20% to angels, maybe 5%, 6% to a few early developers, and then you guys split the rest, which was about you know 70-ish percentage of the business. And so when you decide to sell this to GoDaddy, once you knew that the fit was right, the numbers worked, you guys were going to be happy doing it, um, what was the sale price? What, what got GoDaddy acquire you guys for? Huh, that, uh, that I unfortunately can't say. You can probably hunt it out in the IPO documents, but uh, that one I, I actually am not, not able to state outright. Can, can you save me the time from hunting through the IPO docs? What, what can you tell me? Can you give any, any kind of metric that's already public? Um, not that not. I have to be quite careful because of the IPO, but I will state that it was very fair. Uh, and, and so would a fair equation for valuing a company that, again, selling your company, one that you and Gary liked, would be something along, you know, take monthly recurring revenue, you know, multiply it times 12 to get it annualized, and then multiply it times, you know, 6 or 7x? 6 or 7x would be good. I think, I think if, you're, if you're selling, and I'm talking hypothetically right now. Of course, of course. For, four to five. <laughs> Four to five X is a very reasonable acquisition price if you're considering to sell. And hypothetically, if you started another business, and you... if that's exactly what we did, um, I think we were higher. So I'd say probably higher than that. But again, I'm I'm not entirely sure. Um, exactly. we, we didn't consider in the four five X. We didn't calculate it exactly that way. But that's a good start to the negotiation. Got it. Okay, Top Tribe, I want to give you more brain juice this month, totally free. If you're loving this episode, text the word Nathan, N-A-T-H-A-N, to 33444 for your chance to win a prize on an upcoming show. The next prize is a pack of 14 business books valued at 250 bucks if you bought them on Amazon. And these books are the ones that Mark Zuckerberg thinks every entrepreneur 
must read. Well, guys, Dean, we're about to get into my favorite part of the show, but before I do that, I just want to summarize, because this is just an amazing story, and I encourage everyone to check out Mad Mimi. But again, started back in 2007, built it all the way up to 2014, sold to GoDaddy, had about 250,000 free and paid customers, 14,000 were paying about 36 bucks a month, which is somewhere around half a million bucks per month in revenue, or about six million per year, and then selling somewhere between, hypothetically, of course, uh, not hypothetically <laughs> selling, but hypothetically the multiple was somewhere between 6 million times 6 or 7 or 8x on the top line to GoDaddy. And Dean, you guys are now happily building Mad Mimi as part of GoDaddy, correct? Right. And we've also built GoDaddy email marketing within GoDaddy's platforms. And, and that's a stellar app. So how, how, does, how does your little, how does Mimi feel about this whole deal? Does she like it? Mimi loves it. Good. It's, it's a really... <laughs> It's a really great partnership. Well, guys, there you go. So, Dean, before we get into my favorite part of the show, I just want to remind Top Tribe you can get all these numbers, links to Dean's information, and everything else in the show notes at NathanLadka.com forward slash the top 103. Again, forward slash the top 103. All right, Dean, do you know what time it is? Yes. The what time? Five time. Fa- Famous, Famous five, Famous baby. Five. Famous. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's do this, Dean. Number one, what is your favorite business book? Can I name three? Do you yes, mind? Yes, please, please. So my, my top three, I couldn't pick one, is Four Steps to the Epiphany by Steve Blank, How to Measure Anything by Douglas W. Hubbard, and User Story Mapping by Jeff Patton. Ooh, those all are, just sound like juicy ones I want to dig into now. Again, we'll link to those in the show notes. Dean, number two, is there a CEO that you're following or studying right now? Um, I don't know if I'm, I'm really studying anyone in particular, but I love following Danielle Morrill of Mattermark on Twitter. She's got really great stuff to share. Mattermark? Yes. Okay, Mattermark. Great. Number three, Dean, besides Mad Mimi, is there an online tool that you love and use every day? You always mention Evernote. I obsess about Evernote. I use <laughs> Evernote for everything, but my other tool is 1Password. One one, oh, it's so addicting. Makes it makes everything so easy. For sure. Very good. Okay, number four, Dean. You're, again, you're, you built an empire. You're, you're building with your family. You're, you're, you seem super balanced based off, again, these you know, highly centered yoga pictures and poses <laughs> I see you doing. This is great. My question to you is, though, um, are you getting eight hours of sleep every night as you're going through all this? Absolutely not. I, I feel six is enough. I tend to aim for six to... Six to seven, never eight, and I feel I have a very good work-life balance. I love that. All right, last question, Dean. Number five, how old are you? I'm 35. Okay, so take us back 15 years, Dean. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Huh. Um, I would tell my, my younger self to stay healthy and only hang out with smart and happy and ambitious people. Smart happy and ambitious. Dean, people are going to want to follow your journey online and they're going to want to, you know, they're going to keep following you because they're going to want to know what you do next. Uh, where can they do that online? What, what link? Where can they follow you? Sure. So they can follow me on Twitter at underscore Aaron, uh, at, at Aaron underscore Dean. That's A-R-R-O-N underscore D-E-A-N on Twitter and find me on LinkedIn, Dean Levitt. Well, guys, there you have it. Dean, from launching Mad Mimi back in 2007, getting your first paying customer, to a business doing well over four, five, or maybe even six million bucks per year and selling to GoDaddy. Thank you, sir, for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan. Cheers. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. If you like this episode with Dean, you're going to love yesterday's show with Christo Hall. He was a pro surfer who'd done over $2 million in the past 12 months with a really weird product. 